Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming Versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the rapture and the second coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're going to pick up where we left off last time, and that is in point number four of our handout, and we're talking about Jesus coming back at his second coming with the church, which is now his wife, and with his angels, and he stands on the Mount of Olives, and that he brings judgment to the earth, and then he brings peace. So we've got a lot to look at here. We've got a lot of scriptures that we've been going through, and we want to see if we can uh, finish up with a discussion a discussion and biblical description of the kingdom and the peace that's going to be brought to the earth uh, following the second coming of Christ and the setting up of what is called his millennial or thousand-year kingdom here on earth. So again, we are in point number four, and we're under the heading of Jesus Returns with the Saints That's his second coming, and if you are joining us for the first time or have just not had a chance to go to the radio station website, that's at whcbradio.org, and under Exploring Bible Prophecy, you can find a copy of this this series handout on uh, exploring the differences between the rapture and the second coming. So if you have that, you can find point four, and we are in the... um, Passages dealing now with the setting up of the kingdom in Jerusalem and the setting up of um, the millennial the millennial kingdom as it uh, will be on the earth for a thousand years. And we were in Zechariah. We were in Zechariah, which is one of the minor prophets. And the book of Zechariah, written about, oh, 450 years before Christ, uh, just before God went silent, if you will, for the 400 years after the book of uh, Malachi, and uh, before we start with the first of the Gospels, Matthew. So the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi, the first book of the New Testament is Matthew, and there's about a 400-year period of silence in there where the uh, empires of Greece, the Greeks, who brought the Greek language to Israel, and then the Romans came along. Uh, So that's a period of those two empires that uh, are covered during what are called the silent years of the Bible, when God uh, did not speak through any of the prophets to Israel. But in uh, Zechariah, which is the second to the last book, the uh, second to the last of the minor prophets that started with Hosea, so depending on where you're coming into your into your Bible when you open it up. After a while, it'll become almost second nature as you get used to thumbing around your Bible. And of course, why would you want to thumb around your Bible? You want to find out what God says about any particular point of truth. And you know that a point of truth is only is not going to be found just one time in just about every instance. Uh, he's going to talk about it more than once, and in some truths, he talks about it quite a bit. And one of the things that he talks about quite a bit is the second coming of his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth as the son of man to judge the unbelieving world and then to set up 
the, uh, the, the wonderful millennial kingdom here on earth for that last thousand-year period before eternity uh, comes to the earth. So that millennial kingdom is, is what has been in view. And in Zechariah chapter 2, he was talking about um, basically Jesus being sent. Uh, the Lord is speaking here. Jesus is being sent. And if we go to Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8, by way of a little review here from our last program, he says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Zechariah 2, 8, After glory he has sent me against the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. And it's the key after glory. And, of course, what is the glory? And we talked uh, briefly last time about the fact that the glory of the Lord has not been present in Israel since about 590 B.C. And that is chronicled in the book of Ezekiel, I think about chapter 11, where it talks about the glory of the Lord in the temple. The presence of the Lord in the temple was lifted up and went out of the temple, went out through the gate facing east, which is the glorious um, gate uh, through which Jesus will come back. And he goes out to the Mount of Olives and lifts off, basically um, goes to heaven. And the glory has not been in the temple since. And, of course, the uh, the temple that we know best, which is the temple that Jesus went into, the only time that the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, was ever in that temple was when, was when Jesus went into it, both as a 12-year-old boy or to uh, as a baby. Uh, and then when he came back to uh, turn over the tables of the money changers and so forth, those were the only times the glory of the Lord has been there. And the reason for that is that they have um, turned their backs basically on the Mosaic law, which would have been from the time of the Babylonian destruction, um, ending in 586 B.C. with the destruction of the temple, and then going forward to the time of uh, Herod's magnificent temple, one of the seven wonders of the world, actually. Um, That glorious temple that the Jews want to rebuild today, that temple never had the glory of the Lord in it, uh, as it did before the Babylonian captivity, um, except for the times when Jesus was in it. So it says in verse 8, kind of giving a little background there, after glory. So when Jesus comes back at his second coming, he's coming not to the temple, but he's coming because the temple has been destroyed. And that just very quickly, would be the third temple that the Jews want to build. That third temple will be built in unbelief because they will not recognize, um, nor have they recognized Jesus as Messiah, as the coming king. So that temple at some point in time during the tribulation will be built and will be destroyed probably by one of the great earthquakes. And then the fourth temple, the fourth temple is the one that uh, the Lord will build, and it'll be the glorious uh, seat of his throne for a thousand years in Jerusalem. So the glory of the Lord here is coming to the Mount of Olives. And that's the Mount of Olives we talked about in Acts chapter 1, 10 through 11, where he lifted off at the end of his first ministry here on earth in 32 AD, and where he is coming back at his second coming. And we find in Zechariah that indeed, He does come back and sets foot on the Mount of Olives. So it says, after glory, 
he has sent me against the nations which plunder you. So he's talking about battling against the nations which have plundered Israel and indeed are there in surrounding Jerusalem, uh, which is the, the great battle of Armageddon. And he will defend Israel at that point because he is um, taking up uh, a battle position against those who touch you, Israel. And as it says in verse 8, they touch the apple of God's eye, the apple of God's eye. So it's um, a good description here, one of uh, many, about God, uh, Jesus coming back, God sending Jesus back with his wife and his angels to judge the earth and to set up his kingdom. And then uh, let's stay in the book of Zechariah. We've been in Zechariah chapter 2. So let's go over to Zechariah chapter 8 and get another picture of the beginning of this kingdom here and how not only is God blessing the Israelites, which he had promised to do all through the, uh, the Old Testament, and now it's being, it would be realized at the second coming um, of, of Christ to the earth and how the Gentiles will be blessed as well because they will uh, be counted as righteous uh, in the millennial kingdom after the sheep and goat judgment of Matthew 25. So the righteous sheep will be in the kingdom. And look what it says in Zechariah chapter 8, looking at verses 20 to 23. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, It will yet be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities, The inhabitants of one will go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. Verse 22, So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Verse 23, Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days... And we're talking about after the, uh, the battle of Armageddon and the judgments we're talking about at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. In those days, ten men from all the nations. So he's giving an example here of the nations coming to Israel. In those days, ten men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So it's, um, again, going to be a wonderful time there at the very beginning of the kingdom. Uh, the Bible tells us that everyone will be counted as righteous. The Israel's living in, Israelites living in the land of Israel will be counted as righteous. And the Gentiles that populate the earth after the tribulation and the judgments will be the sheep of the sheep and goat judgment in Matthew 25. And they will be counted by, as righteous by the Lord and they will be the Gentile nations on the earth. And they will all have this desire to want to come to Jerusalem to seek the favor of Jesus, King Jesus, sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. So what a wonderful picture. So we've been spending some time with Zechariah. And as I said, Zechariah wrote in the roughly the 450s B.C. Um, let's go back about, um, oh, 100 years Let's go to the book of Ezekiel. So we go back 100. We want to go back to the left as well to find the book of Ezekiel. So as you're thumbing through the minor prophets, then you'll get to Daniel. And then next, going to the left, you'll find Ezekiel. And Ezekiel, 
um, again, a contemporary of Daniel and of Jeremiah, not only chronicling the um, Babylonian captivity, but also um, giving us details about what the millennial kingdom will look like. And in Ezekiel chapter 36, chapter 36, and let's look at uh, verses 33 to 38. Ezekiel 36, verses 33 to 38. Let me back up here and say it, it looks like in context. I had set these these scriptures out, but it looks like it better in context. Let me go back to verse 22. Uh, to build a a bigger context here in Ezekiel chapter 36. In verse uh, 22, it says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. Now let me back out of the scripture here for a minute and just comment that Israel is going to be saved. Israel's going to be going to be judged, going to be saved, and then blessed by God in a way that they have never known before. And it's going to be a, a wonderful blessing during the millennial kingdom. But God is making it clear here that I am not doing this because of who you are, Israel. You have been hard-headed. You have been stiff-necked. You have played the harlot, which is a way of saying they, they worshiped idols rather than God, and for those reasons, you have profaned my name among the nations where you've been scattered by the Gentiles. But the reason I'm going to do this is for my name's sake. And what he's saying here is that I have made a covenant with your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I am a covenant-keeping God, and in order to Uh, maintain the glory and integrity of my name as a covenant-keeping God. That's why I'm doing this. So, yes, I love you, but, boy, it's a hard love. Uh, But that's uh, nevertheless the result is I am bringing you back uh, into the land that I had promised your forefathers, and I will bless you as I promised your forefathers. Okay, jumping back in Ezekiel 36 at verse 23. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. So it's very clear, jumping out again of the scriptures, it's very clear here, this hasn't happened yet, because God has not shown himself to be holy among the Jews so that the nations where the Jews are scattered to recognize who God is and they turn to God. So this is obviously a yet future event, which of course is the millennial kingdom we're talking about. All right, back in at verse 24, for I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Again, jumping out of the scripture here, this hasn't happened. Uh, Israel is, the Israel of today in the Middle East is a godless country for intents and purposes. They certainly do not recognize Christ as the Messiah, that is basically a heathen nation and the, the righteous 
not righteous, but the religious rabbis that wear the robes and the curled hair and the hats and so forth have no interest in finding this Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in Israel today, a devout Jew will refer to Jesus as that man. They don't even want to recognize him for who he really is. So God says, I'm going to take all of that filthiness and all of those idols away from you when I cleanse you. Jumping back in verse 26, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Jumping out of the scripture again, there is so much in verse 26, so much there that we we need to understand when God says he will give Israel a new heart. Now remember, this is the Israel that's been judged in Ezekiel 20, starting at, I believe, verse 33, going through verse 38, and only the ones that are not counted as rebels, so therefore the ones that are counted as righteous, will be brought into the bond of the covenant that God has with them and will be given the new heart and a new spirit. And it says, within them. Now remember, the Holy Spirit during the Old Testament came on you, but not in you and could leave you. And we've been over those scriptures before about David getting the Holy Spirit and then praying to God in Psalm 51, do not take it away from me. And then we go to John 14, verses 16 and 17, where we find out that the Holy Spirit comes into a Christian at the church age, Pentecost, beginning at Pentecost, and will never leave you. So he says there in 26, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will restore the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Okay, so we want to now answer a question from a listener. So we're going to go ahead and, and pick up uh, in the next program this passage in Ezekiel 36 because it's such a rich passage. We want to spend time there. But we want to answer a question that we have a rather extensive answer <laughs> that would be required from Sandy in Indian Springs, and she wants to know what happens to the earth in eternity. What happens to the earth in eternity? So great question, Sandy. A, a fairly common explanation for what happens to the earth in eternity is that it is totally destroyed and another new earth is created. Uh, I suppose said another way, at the beginning of eternity, which is after the millennial kingdom, after the great white throne judgment, uh, so at the beginning of eternity, our solar system goes from, if you will, nine planets to eight planets, and then back to nine planets, that ninth planet, of course, being the Earth. The primary scripture used to support that conclusion is found in, let's see, Second Peter. So let's go to Second Peter. So if you thumb towards the end of the New Testament there and you find Hebrews and then James, and then right after James is Peter, and Peter wrote two books, and we want to go to his second book, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Second Peter 3, verse 10. And it says in Second Peter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, 
and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up, burned up. And a point to be made there is when we look at that word burn or that phrase burned up, um, the footnote when you look at the the Greek actually means will be discovered. Its works will be discovered because we want to we want to explore that burned up concept because it's a fairly common um, understanding that the earth physically disappears and another earth comes. Okay, so it would appear, based on Second Peter chapter 3 that we just read, that God's final judgment of the earth is one where he completely annihilates it, and then he starts over completely. So let's see, uh, looking at context, 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 what does other scripture say? Does it corroborate it or, or tell us something a little bit different? Let's see if other scriptures give that same picture of a completely new earth or a completely new planet called earth. Because the idea being that the planet disappears. So let's look at Genesis chapter 8. Let's go all the way back to Genesis. Go back to the first book of your Bible. And this is uh, right after the flood. Right after the flood. And in Genesis chapter 8, verses 21 to 22, it says, The Lord, this is uh, following um, Noah in verse 20, builds an altar to the Lord and uh, sacrifice clean animals on it to uh, thank him for uh, what he had done in saving he and his family uh, in the ark and the flood. And then in verse 21, it says, The Lord smelled the smoothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy everything, every living thing, as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So you might get tripped up by looking at that first line of verse 22, while the earth remains, and you say, well, see there, it disappears. But what does it say at the end of verse 21? I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. And that, of course, was the flood, but eight people were saved out of that. So there is judgment, and there will be people who are sent to uh, hell in the lake of fire, but there will be people who make it through that, and those people have to live somewhere. So we want to uh, understand that from that passage, the Lord is never, ever again going to destroy every living thing. So now let's look at uh, Zephaniah. So Zephaniah, that's a book that we haven't been in in quite a while, and that's one of the minor prophets, one of the minor prophets kind of in the middle of the set of minor prophets that starts with Hosea and ends with Malachi. Zephaniah chapter 3, and let's look at verse 8 says, therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. So the point I want to make in this passage is that the Lord is talking here about the judgments during the tribulation. 
And if you look at his language, God is using what I would call fiery language to destroy, to describe rather, how he's going to devour the earth. Now, this is the second coming being described. It's a a period just before the millennial kingdom. So the earth does not disappear. We know that because of the, uh, the, the truths of the scripture. So when he's using this fiery language about devouring the earth, we know that that doesn't really mean the earth is disappearing, that it'll be devoured. It merely means that it's being judged with fire. Then let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. So going into about the middle of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 3. And it's talking about uh, judging the church, judging the church at the Bema seat. And looking at 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 to 15, it says, Now if any man builds, so this is a judgment of works by Jesus of the church. Now if any man builds on the foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day, and that's the Bema seat judgment of Christ of the church. The day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So you can see here that obviously the Christians aren't burned up. Um, physically, that things are not burned up physically or literally. We're talking about judgment, the judgment of Christ, which is described as fire, which is either going to preserve something to show that it is preservable, it's uh, immortal, or that it's going to be burned up and disappear because it was of no value. So unfruitful works, for instance, will be burned up. So let's look finally at Revelation 21. Revelation 21, and look at uh, 24 to 26. It says, The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no light there in the city, its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. So the point here I want to conclude with is the earth will be judged for sin, and all sin will be removed by the fiery judgment of God. But the earth will not be removed because in in the eternity we have the nations, the kings and the nations bringing their glory into the city. Remember, if we don't talk again... I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.